You're listening to The Diplomats Podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda, recording from New York City. And today I'm joined by Abhigad Reg, The Diplomats Security and Defense Editor and Director of Research for Diplomat Risk Intelligence. Uh, Abhi, it's good to be back with you. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you, Ankit. So before we get into today's discussion, uh, which will take us back to Eastern Ladakh, where we have, of course, news of a disengagement between Indian and Chinese troops, uh, Abhi, I did want to offer you the chance to tell us a little bit about uh, an upcoming report that Diplomat Risk Intelligence, or DRI, uh, is producing on the situation on uh, in Myanmar, which, uh, of course, uh, in the most recent podcast episode, uh, Sebastian Strangio, the Diplomat Southeast Editor, uh, a Southeast Asia Editor, and I spent quite a bit talking about. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what's in that report and how our listeners might benefit? Uh, so we uh, at the Diplomat Risk Intelligence now produce these monthly uh, monthly reports, which focus, which are essentially deep dives into specific situations. We produced one uh, last month on the Biden administration and five risks. The new one, the February edition, is going to be released tomorrow uh, morning EST, and it essentially is a comprehensive analysis of the Myanmar coup and its aftermath. And by comprehensive, I mean we have an a team of A-listers who have uh, analyzed Myanmar's political economy, uh, Myanmar's politics and, and civil military relations going on to ethnic conflicts, India-Myanmar relations and counterinsurgency, and of course the largest strategic questions around uh, what does it mean for the future of democracy in Southeast Asia uh, in terms of uh, Myanmar's relations with China and so on and so forth. So we're extremely excited uh, to do this, uh, to release this report tomorrow uh, early in the morning, Eastern uh, Standard Time. Terrific. Well, I think the podcast episode may actually release after the report is out. So by the time listeners have heard the podcast, uh, do check out uh, Diplomat Risk Intelligence's website uh, to ha- get access to the report. Um, so let's now zoom in on what we're here to talk about um, mm-hmm. on the episode today. So. Um, as long-time listeners are likely aware, or readers of The Diplomat are probably very well aware, uh, India and China have had a very difficult year. Uh, since uh, going back to last April, uh, and uh, certainly in May 2020, uh, the two sides, uh, troops from the two countries, faced off along several points in eastern Ladakh, uh, which is along the line of actual control, which demarcates Indian-held territory uh, from Chinese-held territory uh, in that in that region uh, in the Himalayas. And of course, June 20th, 2020, uh, marked the worst violence between the two countries, going all the way back to the 1962 war between them. And so tensions have really been high. Uh, we've seen really a nearly nine-month-long standoff. Um, and we got a little bit of good news uh, just um, just a week ago. Uh, so after um, after all of this time, and I believe nine rounds of military to military talks and a separate diplomatic process, uh, the two sides, beginning with the Chinese People's Liberation Army, announced a disengagement from one particular flashpoint. And I really want to emphasize this point: uh, the disengagement that has happened is not comprehensive. There are still Indian and Chinese troops facing off along other flashpoints. We can talk a little bit about that. But the main disengagement that happened, that was announced, and after the PLA announcement, India's Defense Minister Rajnath Singh. Uh, made a similar announcement before the Indian Parliament describing what exactly had happened. Um, But this disengagement took place at Pangong Lake, which was a particular area of focus. Um, And the disengagement took place along the northern and the southern banks. Um, But I won't tell you much more about it. Uh, In fact, uh, I do want to invite Abhi now to just tell us a little bit about the mechanics of what exactly happened here with this disengagement. Abhi, can you walk us through uh, the details um, of what we know from what's available in the open source at the moment? Um, So... 
Ankit, as you pointed out, on February 9th, the PLA made a statement that the process of disengagement in 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 the Bangong Lake uh, area, uh, and I, I want to emphasize that it's, it's actually a large area, right? Because it, as you said, it all covers both the northern um, the northern bank with the Fingers area, as well as the southern bank uh, near the southern bank, which is the Kailash Range in 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 the Chushul sector. So the PL announces that disengagement has started. Uh, following which, Rajnath Singh gives a very detailed statement, actually, in, in the in the upper house of, of of the Indian Parliament, essentially laying out what one is to expect and and, and so on and so forth. So the the plan right now is the following, right? The, according to Rajnath Singh's statement, the point is essentially that in the Northern Bank, um, India will move its troops back to Finger 3, to a post near Finger 3. Uh, Finger, by the way, is this mountainous region that, um, a mountainous feature that juts into, into the lake. So, so Indian troops will move uh, back to a post in, near Finger 3, and Chinese troops will move beyond Finger 8. Beyond. Now, why is this significant, right? It's significant because that's one area where the line of actual control is fuzzier than what it already is. The line of control is like a phantom line. It doesn't exist. But there it exists even less in, in that, that there are different perceptions of, of, of where it lies. The Chinese have traditionally claimed that it lies in, on figure two, or, or then they changed stance and they said it lies on figure four uh, last year, while Indians have claimed that it lies in figure eight. Right now, what has happened? What does that mean? Well, all it means is that both sides would be able to patrol that area in 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 between. So traditionally, Indian patrolling has often gone as far as Finger Six, is is my understanding. Well, the Chinese have have, have also patrolled that area, but what the Chinese did, and this is where where the tricky part uh, of of, uh, of of the whole situation was in the northern areas, in the northern bank of, of the lake, is that they started constructing a blacktopped road last June. And that extended up to Finger 4. Now, a black-topped road, it's a, it's a permanent road where you can move vehicles, you can move personnel, essentially means that you have shifted the line of actual control. So it's a fait accompli, it's done, you can't do it. So according to the disengagement plan, both sides will not patrol the area between Fingers 4, 3 and 8, a little beyond 3 and 8. That serves as a buffer zone. And, and there's no patrolling until new CBMs are put in place, that's one. And they'll stay put one on uh, the Chinese at, at, at beyond figure eight and, and the Indians a little above uh, figure uh, figure three in a post there. So that's the situation in, in the North Bank. South Bank is a little bit more complicated. Uh, what was going on in the Southern Bank? So, so as you know, that on in the night of August 29th and 30th last year, India launched what I would consider a very audacious military operation involving the Special Frontier Force, which is a secretive intelligence control force, uh, special force, uh, comprised of ethnic Tibetans, and why they did it, why they did what they did, was because they wanted to see certain unoccupied peaks in the Rechinla Rezangla sector, uh, Rechinla uh, complex, in in the in the Chushul sector in in the Kalash region near the South Bank, and and the idea behind seizing these peaks there, I think there were five peaks all in all that that came into Indian hands, was that it would offer first of all India clear line. A line of sight, if you wish, a clear view on, on over the Spangur Gap, which is one of the few areas there where where you can you can have some kind of mechanized warfare. It's right. relatively flat, and it all leads all the way up to the Mordo Garrison on the on the on the Chinese side. So, so India sees these peaks, 
I believe the Chinese also immediately seized some peaks. So there was some peak seizing that that happened. And the other thing was that both sides <laughs> both sides had all, also moved to a significant amount of armor because of, as I said, because of the terrain. That's that's good, good and easy for mechanized warfare if it comes down to that. So the disengagement there involved two things. One is moving the armor out, moving the armored columns back, which has happened because there were videos flo- floating around on, on social media. You've seen it. They moved the armored columns out, and I also believe that there is a commitment to vacate the peaks on both sides. I've read reports that saying the peak vacating has happened. I, I don't have any first-hand evidence. So that's that's in terms of the disengagement. But I need to uh, caution you about something. Disengagement is a very technical thing. All it means is that you are your troops are literally not side by side facing each other, guns, uh, or, or just facing each other. I don't know whether they're pointing guns or not. But just, just, just facing each other. And it does not mean there is any de-escalation. Right. Because de-escalation in turn will involve thinning the number of troops. And then there is, of course, the process of de-induction, which is that the troops that are forward deployed were immediately there along the line of actual control, the extra numbers. They're pulled back to, you know, wherever they were taken from. So those two things have not been done. So that's just the situation with the north and the south bank of the Pangolin. Yeah, thanks for thanks for breaking that out. I know that for you know for listeners without a map in front of you, I think it might be difficult to follow a lot of these. Um, you know, a lot of these names might be unfamiliar. Uh, I will try to link to a good map of the Pangong Lake region uh, in the show notes. So um, do refer to that to follow along with what Abi just uh, expertly laid out. Um, I will just add. I mean, um, you know, one of the things that is nice about the way in which this disengagement was done and the specific piece of terrain is that. Uh, it was quite easy to verify with um, independent open source techniques that indeed the two sides had vacated, uh, at least the Northern Bank, where we have imagery uh, courtesy of Maxar Technologies, which um, provides uh, high resolution commercial satellite imagery showing that uh, China and India had dismantled it. Now, you know, I mean, I absolutely appreciate your point on the difference between disengagement and de-escalation. I think that's very important. I mean, one of the lessons I think we learned back in 2017 um, and, you know, longtime listeners of this podcast will remember the Doklam dispute. Uh, You know, everybody celebrated the disengagement in August 2017 when that was announced. Um, But then, of course, you know, lo and behold, when the high resolution satellite imagery came out long, um, not long afterwards, uh, we saw signs that, you know, the PLA had dug in. And today, if you look at that part of the line of actual or sorry, not the line of actual control there, it is the international border uh, between uh, India and Bhutan, uh, you will see a permanent Chinese presence there. So the question I, I think that I have, and I think a lot of folks have, is, you know, what is the long-term prognosis, not just for Pangong Lake, but for the other areas? And, you know, here I think we should just zoom out for a second and talk a little bit about, you know, what remains to be done. And for me, I mean, the biggest concern is still, I think, the Depsang Plains, right? We had another round of talks this weekend, and this was after the disengagement. We had another round of military-to-military talks to sort of verify and assess the state of disengagement. And according to reporting um, in, I believe, the Hindustan Times and and a few other places, um, that meeting did not go over too well when the issue of Depsong came up. So that seems to be a major area of disengagement. Can you tell us a little bit about the significance of Depsong more generally? Sure. So, so, but but before I do that, uh, let me add for the benefit of of our our, of of our listeners what remains, right? So, so of course, Depsong, Depsong, the Depsong Plains is 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 one area of contention. But but there is the Hot Springs, Gogra, that that Hot Springs and Gogra, the uh, point area, that area there, and also Demchok, right? These are the ones ones that that are that are still extant, like the, 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 the flashbacks. So 
my understanding on of what transpired in the 10th uh, 10th round of the uh, core commanders meeting is that india after the disengagement in pangong lake had been verified to everybody's satisfaction um uh, the india had said okay you know let's now move forward with the other areas and from what i understand the chinese have committed there is an in principle agreement for hot springs and gogra right, right. but nothing on them chok and depsa that's my understanding that, that, that that's what i think that's right yeah now what's going on, now, now, now what's, what's going on with depsa right so let's again without, without a map in front of us let let me try and do this so so depsa area is strategically extremely vital for india why is it vital because india has a massive well massive india has a significant uh, air force base uh, very in that in the vicinity of that area up north and it's it's the it's the highest airfield um on, on on the planet actually and and what is happened and, and so it's very important if india was to launch any military operation not just against china i would say against pakistan so so, so, so let's say to take retake the baltistan that air that area though installations there would be, would be very vital especially the air assets so with that in mind so what had happened is that reports have emerged or reports emerged in september last year that um even before we got to understand that there was a problem with the pangong lake and and the other areas china was obstructing patrols uh indian patrolling up to five patrolling points in 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 the in the depsang plains right so numbers of these patrolling points do not matter uh, right but now why is that significant right that's significant because these patrolling points were inside what india considers indian territory so inside so they didn't exactly coincide with the line of actual control or at least what india considers the line of actual control right so so there was these obstructions of these patrolling points now which is uh, now how was these obstructions done some reports have said that that you know the chinese had not really made a permanent presence there in terms of obstructing so they'll come and go they'll just block this but then others say no there is a there is a more permanent presence uh, there because you can't really block patrolling without having a more, more steady pla presence there so that's the situation in the depsang plains because as i said depsang plains are strategically extremely vital right so if those patrolling points are permanently blocked for example then it significantly imperils all the installations that 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 that, that india has in that vicinity and and then that complicates military plan right my understanding is that that is where the chinese are are, are not not willing to budge at the current moment so some people have say that you know india had a huge jaro uh, panak had hs panak was a former uh, indian um, northern army commander he had, he had actually also said i, I believe recently that uh, india's advantage in the southern bank of 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 the pangong lake in the kalash range uh, or the peaks that that india had occupied that would have been a very valuable bargaining chip mm-hmm. in order to secure a withdrawal out of depsang so it's all like linking various areas but the but india perhaps lost it and and uh, gave the chinese an easy way out in terms of what what happened yeah. in in the north bank right the figure said yeah and you know i mean look the thing that i was most concerned about before the disengagement i think hasn't really changed which is that 
Um, of course, you know, the winter in this part of the world is just bitter, and we saw sort of the climate itself um, suppress some of the worst impulses that could have led to a crisis spiral between the two sides, right? We haven't really seen a repeat of what happened in June or August uh, after things started to slow down and, um, you know, the core commander talks just kept on happening. Um, though as spring and summer approach, the potential, I think, for new incidents do continue to grow. And especially in Depsong, I think that the chance of a new crisis, I think, very much remains on the table. So I think that's an important point I really want to emphasize for listeners is that as this disengagement happens, you know, India and China are not yet out of the woods. This is, though, still a positive sign that they are able to conclude these kinds of agreements, verify them to their mutual satisfaction, and continue talks. But it very much remains to be seen what will happen uh, in these other sectors. Uh, I do want to move on. We are, you know, um, running short on time. I did want to address um, something that you, uh, you just wrote about, actually, in The Diplomat today, which is a fascinating sort of ancillary angle to uh, all of this disengagement. Um, so as the disengagement happened, uh, you know, I, I don't really know why this happened, but, you know, possibly to save space or to sort of support India's general position, uh, the Indian Army's northern commander, um, Lieutenant General Y.K. Joshi, uh, you know, he he... He gave an interview in which he talked about what was happening, talked about what had happened, uh, and he sort of made the sensational claim that in the altercation last June, um, for which China never released any official casualty figures, right? India announced that 20 Indian troops uh, died in that in that encounter. Um, General Joshi mentioned that 45 PLA troops had been killed, uh, and that and that China hadn't announced that. And then not long after that, I believe it was maybe 48 to 72 hours after that interview was published, um, the Chinese military, in what is to my mind an unprecedented kind of disclosure, announced the names of four PLA um, troops, including, uh, including, um, including officers, who were killed in that incident. So it, it really seemed as if, you know, China, uh, and, you know, of course, China was sort of um, commemorating their gallantry. Uh, Taylor Fravel, who I had on the podcast recently, pointed out uh, that the way in which this was announced, it was not an exhaustive accounting of all of the casualties. It was sort of a commemoration of the gallantry, which I think is an important point. But, you know, this sort of sets up a really interesting dynamic. And, uh, of course, Abby, I mean, you wrote about this in your piece. This is sort of blown up uh, on social media in the two countries. And I think the more interesting side of that is what's been happening in China, where... Um, even as disengagement is happening and talks are continuing, China's censors are effectively, you know, taking their foot off the pedal and letting yes, nationalist sir. commentary run wild. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what you think is going on here between the two countries and this sort of back and forth. No, you know, you know, the, 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 in a year of mysteries, the, I, I think this will go down as, 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 as a bigger one, <laughs> mysteries when it comes to Indian China, because I, I really do, do not understand the reason why I am Doshi had to go on this media blitz. By the way, it was not just one interview he gave to one outlet. He gave several interviews to 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 to, 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 to several. So 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 there was a there was a media blitz uh, and and uh, a little bit of of, of triumphalism that, that seeped into some of his remarks. So so that in the background, what the interesting thing was was China's decision to to announce that uh, it was awarding honors to five PLA personnel, four posthumously, two of them officers, three of them soldiers. That's that's the, that's the accounting. So the, when they said five, you know, my, my, my first thing was why five? Why not like because as Taylor Fravel and, and others have, have pointed out, it's not an exhaustive, it's not an exhaustive uh, accounting of all casualties or whatever transpired. So why five? Right? 
Then I went back and I said, what happened in, on 26th of January, uh, or on the 25th of January, rather, on the eve of the Republic Day, when we announced, really, India announced, gallantry medals. So how many got, got gallantry awards? And it's very interesting, right? It's interesting because India awarded five medals posthumously, right? Five medals posthumously, one a Mahavir Chakra to uh, Santosh Babu, uh, who, was, uh, who was heading the commanding officer of the CPR troops that fought on the 15th of June in Galwan. And four were soldiers who served under, under, under Babu and, uh, and were killed, killed in action on June 15th. So there was five. That's the counting there. So China announces four posthumous medals. One of them in, in the Chinese case was, uh, was, was somebody who was injured. So it seems that it was the message was that, look, we lost one less guy in, in, many, in many ways. That, or, or rather, if you're awarding five medals, we are awarding four. So we somehow came out of it slightly better. That's, that's one way of reading the situation, because to, to understand the, the numbers that the, 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 the Chinese present. So that's one. The second part was what happened on Chinese uh, social media, because you know, there's a lot going on between India and China in the in the larger strategic uh, sense. That's an understatement. Uh, because uh, no, 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 and a lot of lot of I think very interesting developments that we are not keeping a close eye on, uh, and we should be watching them more closely. One is that there is a subtle desire on part of both countries to put this behind the, the whatever is happening, right? Because you have seen Indian media reports now saying that Xi Jinping might visit India for the BRICS summit. India has, has, has presidency this year of BRICS, so that would be a major, uh, major positive upturn. Suddenly, there are reports coming that saying India might allow F2 automatic uh, uh, some quota of automatic uh, foreign direct investment from China, which is a reversal opposition from something that, that that was taken. So there is. There was one thing that I also wrote about and kind of seemed like totally buried, people missed it, was that India and China are consulting over UNSC issues, right? And there was an MEA statement about that. Because meanwhile, because why is that important? Keep in mind that India had Jashankar, had, uh, external affairs uh, minister, as Jashankar had repeatedly said that, you know, till the border issue and, and there's peace and tranquility on the boundary, Nothing else will move uh, effectively. I mean, he didn't say this literally, but effectively, this is what he said. But suddenly, you're you're seeing, you know, MEAs are releasing certain saying, "Oh, India and China they're consulting about UNSC." So, so all of these developments in in the backdrop suddenly, and there's some disengagement, some hopeful news coming up out of Bangalore. You see this flare. So, you know, the interesting thing there uh, with with uh, with uh, the movements beyond. Uh, possible visit of Xi Jinping to India uh, for, for the BRICS summit this year was also India's engagement with uh, uh, with with China uh, in other uh, other areas, including consultations on on on, uh, on UNC issues. Um, despite external affairs minister S. Jashankar saying that uh, India uh, peace and tranquility on the on the boundary is paramount uh, in the relationship and sort of pushing that up the issue agenda at the height of the conflict. And now there is a degree of decision uh, first of, of uh, General Waiki Joshi to, to, to give these interviews, lay out uh, a lot of details of, of, of how the disengagement in, in, in Pangong Lake uh, took place, or what were the cards in India's hand. The fact that India undertook a quid pro quo action, I'm literally quoting uh, General Joshi here, quid pro quo action in terms of seizing these peaks in the, the 
rectangular rectangular complex, uh, rectangular rectangular complex, and and other peaks in in, in the in, in in the Kailash range, uh, and and then you, of course you have consequently this 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 uh, as you say the Chinese censors took their foot off the pedal uh, when it came to Weibo and 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 Chinese social media, and and you have this. Um, you know, very peculiar situation where you have all these positive developments on the site, but at the same time you have these uh, these uh, you know sort of hyper nationalist rhetoric, it, uh, you know, kind of flaring up in China. Right. Why this is the case, I have I frankly have have, have no idea. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, just you know, my sense of what's happening here. I think I think part of the story is to do with the bilateral relationship. I think you're absolutely you know right that. There is positive momentum there, um, but I think a lot of the story of the, on the Chinese side has to do with domestic politics, and we just don't have the full picture there, as we often don't. That's right. um, but I think you know that will be part of the story. Um, look, Abi, unfortunately, we are uh, you know out of time for today's discussion, but I really want to thank you for coming on and uh, really digging in deep into the nuts and bolts of what's been happening. Um, I know you know listeners have appreciated previous coverage uh, on the Eastern Ladakh issue uh, at the Diplomat and the podcast, and. You know, really want to thank you for being part of this discussion today. Uh, thank you, Ankit. It's always a pleasure to be uh, talking to you. Terrific. Uh, and so for listeners, if you like what you heard on the podcast, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up with future episodes. Uh, and if you have been a subscriber for a while, but you haven't yet left us a review, please do that. We really do appreciate that. It really helps get the word out about the show. You can do that at wherever you get your podcast from. And just once again, uh, I will um, remind you of the new Diplomat Risk Intelligence Report on Myanmar. Uh, please do go check that out. So thanks a lot for listening, and we'll be back soon with more.